This week, obviously, we have Thanksgiving coming, right? I know our Thanksgiving begins actually today with family members, you know. Um, it's like a, a whole week of Thanksgiving, but it, it's, it's a good thing to take time, you know, and to intentionally reflect on our blessings, the many things we have to be thankful for, right? Um, because no matter what season of life we may find ourselves in, even when we hit what we think is rock bottom, there's always something that we can stop and, and reflect on and to be thankful for. I mean, especially in this country, I mean, we're just amazingly blessed, you know. Uh, there's something to be thankful for. Um, and there's ways to, as we you know, learned this morning, to reach out that you could be a reason for somebody to give thanks, you know, this year uh, because you, you, you invested in their life, you helped them in some way, you know, even if it's just an encouraging word, even just calling and checking to see how they're doing, you have something to offer. Um, this is especially true when we shift our focus, however, and, and our emphasis and we, we fix our eyes on Jesus as we're called to do. When we choose to do that, We've got so much to be grateful for. No matter what's happening in this life and in this world. And happy birthday, Dwayne, by the way. Woo! It's his birthday. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that earlier. Holy Spirit's like, ah, oh, Steve. <laughs> happy birthday. We're very thankful. I know Florida, you know, this time of the year probably is kind of drawing on your hearts, but we're glad that the Lord brought you back. <laughs> but, um, you know, when we see Jesus and who he is, Everything he's done for us. And not only that, everything he still has yet to do. He said he would finish the good work he started in us, right? We can be thankful for that. This morning, I'm, remember I busted my, uh, I'm thankful for my hearing aid here said It's not my favorite, but God provided a way, you know, he provided a way. <laughs> Sorry. But um, when, we, when we see him and we more clearly see who he is, even at our worst, we are incredibly blessed, you know, when we just uh, trust him and place our lives into his hands, because God is able to redeem and restore. God is able to heal and to comfort. God is able to breathe a breath of fresh life into our lives. I, I mean, think about Lazarus gone for, what, three or four days, and not even that was too far gone for God to restore, and so we know he is our source. He's our resource. There's nothing that he cannot do. And we have to remind ourselves of that because when we, it's easy to say, and trust me, it's easy for me to preach, but then when the unexpected comes and when the doctors give no hope or answers, it, it doesn't feel that way. You know, we, we start to lose sight and start to lose grip and we have to reshift our focus and remember, okay, God, I didn't see this coming, but you did. I see no way that I'm going to be able to get through this, but you are the way. And so, Lord, just have your way. I mean, all, all you can do in, that, in those instances is just surrender to him. But that is setting the stage for God to work a miracle, to prove that he is alive and well, that he cares about us, that there's nothing he can't do. It's just setting the stage for God to prove himself faithful and true again, right? And so that starts to stir up faith in us. It starts to stir up hope. Hope is like that, that placeholder, you know? While I'm in need, I have hope until that promise is fulfilled. It, it, it's that, that placeholder in our lives that fills the gap until we receive the promise of God to fulfill, you know, whatever it is that that need is in our lives. Um, this is why Paul wrote these bold, bold, courageous words um, that, that are likely being quoted all over the, the world this morning, especially in the U.S., because 
Yeah, I think it's just a, a U.S. holiday, right? Thanksgiving. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know if anyone else celebrates it out there in the world, but, you know, likely you're going to hear these verses quoted. We're going to go a few verses before and after, but these words of Paul, and, and he boldly declared this to the church in Thessalonica. He said, and we urge you, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn people who are idle and disruptive. It's okay to warn them, you know. Parents, do you ever have to warn your kids? We got three teens. I never have to deal with my teens being idle or disruptive, right? Never have to warn them of like, uh, hey, <laughs> we all need it from time to time, don't we? Warn those who are idle or disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Such a cool word. You are giving courage to somebody when you encourage them. And there are so many, even in our church family, let alone in our community, who could use some courage right now for what they're facing and what they're dealing with. You have the source of courage in your life. You can encourage other people. Encourage them. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. And boy, this is a tall order right here. Be Becky would amen it if she was still here. You know, be, be patient with everyone. <laughs> be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive. Strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So that's kind of all-inclusive, right? Who are we to do good to? Everybody. Jesus even clarified that. He's like, even your enemy. Someone comes and steals from you, they take your shirt, give them your, or they take your coat, give them your shirt too. You know, they force you to walk a mile, walk the extra mile. It's, I'll tell you what, there's only one way you can do that. And that's with the strength of the Holy Spirit, right? You can't do that in your flesh. Someone tries to take your coat, you want to sock them, right? You know, we want to start throwing down. But um, Jesus showed us a better way to do good to each other and to everyone else. And these are the verses that we'll hear probably all over the nation today. Rejoice always. Always. Marie shared a little bit about that last week. The, 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 the joy of the Lord is our strength. And how we can possess joy in any circumstance. It's only something you can, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Only through the Holy Spirit can you have that kind of joy. Rejoice always, pray continually. Always be in conversation with God. It's not something you do, you know, morning or night and you just kind of talk at God. Prayer is a communication. It is a lifestyle of listening to the, to the voice of God, following His direction. And of course, talking to him. In fact, some of these things that we're going through, don't be afraid to get mad at God. I'm getting kind of frustrated sometimes. I'm like, why God? Like, why, why aren't they healed yet? Why? They're such a faithful person to you, you know, wholeheartedly given all their lives. Why is this happening? It's okay to ask God. I don't think he's offended by it. I think he may actually answer those prayers and, 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 and reveal what he is up to. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. And that's capital S, the person, the Holy Spirit. Don't quench that fire that the Holy Spirit has birthed inside of your life. When things get tough, when, when, when opposition comes, and you think about the guy who's writing this, everything that the Apostle Paul went through, he did not have an easy life. In fact, one time he's drug outside of a city because they thought he was dead. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've never had to deal with that kind of persecution for my faith ever. And yet he wrote these words. And he didn't just write them, he lived them out. 
He knew what it was like. In fact, he wrote that. You know, he wrote, I know what it's like to be well fed, and I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be clothed. I know what it's like. He knew those hardships. And it, and what it what it brings out is what Sharon had shared, Sharon, Sharon, what Sharon had shared this morning. That empathy that Jesus had as he wept over Jerusalem. Or was it? I'm sorry, that might have been on the the, the really bad video this morning. You know, that sort of like anime, mouths aren't matching up, and I, I still don't know what's happening with their videos. But anyways, um, he, he taught that he learned that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And what that meant is he could endure all those things. But he had empathy toward people. And he did what he could to, to meet needs and to, to just represent Christ in every situation. You know, so often we, we struggle to discern the will of God. There's so many books and resources and podcasts about how to know the will of God for your life. And what we mean by that is we're looking for that one big thing that we're supposed to be or do. You know, we, we think of like Moses and when he parted the Red Sea. You know, that's what we mean when we say the will of God. But really what the will of God is, is a moment-by-moment lifestyle. In fact, it's a life of worship, bowing down your life to His. That's what true and proper worship is. I love song and music. Those are tools to express worship. But what worship really is, is a life bowed down to God. A life bowed down so that He can just have His way through our lives. God's will for us is to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, right? Sorry, yeah, I'm all over the place this morning. Moses, we think about him when he parted the Red Sea, you know, and we may, we may in our lifetime have that opportunity to see that huge undeniable miracle that everybody can just look at and say, that had to be God. But with Moses and the many miracles that he was able to see and experience, you got to take a look back through his life. It didn't start there. The Red Sea was like the, the pinnacle of a lifetime spent in the presence of God. A lifetime of hardship and persecution. Of him choosing, you know what? I may have been raised Egyptian, but I'm going back to my roots. I'm a Hebrew boy. My God is God. It's not this, you know, it's not the Pharaoh and it's not all these other gods that they worshiped and you know, he sacrificed so much, and he had regrets at times. He had so many weaknesses. He would give so many excuses to God. I can't because of this or this, and choose my brother instead. I don't have anything, and God's like, well, what's in your hand? I got a step. I mean, you know, we, we, we so often see the pinnacle of, of this prophet of God, but you don't see the decades of life experience where it was just day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, Moses and God kind of struggling is Moses developed his faith and his trust in God to where he finally just said, okay, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to step out in faith. And that's when the miraculous started to take place through his life. So don't take for granted the little things. A little thing to you could be a life-transforming miracle to someone else. Little things that we have, little things we can do that we take for granted in our lives could be the thing that someone else is praying for and believing for. You can be that answered prayer. But God's will for our lives to do these things, just like Moses, it takes us going back to our roots. To be thankful in all circumstances, that, re that requires a lifestyle that is rooted in the presence of God, that you're really plugged into Him, that nothing else in this world matters, and you truly rely on him for everything. It's a 
a little thing to say, but a big thing to live out. It's really tough. Sometimes we don't realize how much we're relying on things of this world until they're gone. And then it kind of opens our eyes to where our faith really was, where our trust really was. You know, because God says that there's coming a time when he is shaking the things of the world so that only the unshakable things can remain. And you're going to figure out whether you're standing on solid ground, on Christ alone, or whether you might have one foot in some sand and you start feeling like things are out of balance. I'm getting toppled here, you know? And you've got to get recentered and refocused on who your rock is, who your anchor, the anchor of your hope is in Jesus alone, right? Roots are amazing. I mean, have you ever thought about... Roots kind of creep people out. Some people have like a fear of seeing this kind of thing. I'm sorry if you do because it's going to be a really terrifying service for you, but roots, they're amazing, amazing things. A plant's roots define the whole rest of the plant. In fact, even if you completely cut it down, as I found out with a lot of different plants in our yard, you can completely cut that thing down, but if the roots are intact, it'll grow back. It'll grow back stronger and better than what you cut down. In fact, a lot of times it'll multiply. You may cut down a plant, but then multiple other plants start shooting up all over the place. Roots are amazing. They define us. They're the unshakable thing. Even if a plant gets completely killed, we think, it can rise up once again, right? Think about that. Roots can break through anything, I don't know, Daryl, have you ever dealt with roots and plumbing systems? Yeah, we had some, uh, <laughs> we had a pond beside our house here in Numa, and you'd be probably aware of it, and we had this old terracotta pipe that, uh, that was the outflow for it, and roots got in there, it, it completely crumbled it, you know, I mean, it was, and, it, it, and like, what used to be an open pipe was nothing but tree roots, you know, it was just crazy. I mean, there is nothing that roots cannot break through. They will reach out, they will stretch out, they'll go as far wide and deep as they need to go to get all the nutrients that that plant needs, to get, to get the, to water, to get to, um, you know, to, to good soil. They will do whatever they can to make sure that that plant reaches its full potential. As amazing, as, as critical as roots are, all the work that those roots are doing, it's unseen, right? And it's no different in your spiritual life. The only reason that you can stand when opposition comes is if you're developing good, strong, healthy roots on a daily basis. If you're keeping yourself rooted in Christ, the source of everything that you need. That gives us the ability to give thanks in all circumstances, to be grateful no matter what comes our way. Um, to, to celebrate more than just a single day of the year where we watch a cool parade and I'm, I must be getting old because I don't even recognize half of those singers and performers anymore. I have to ask my kids, who's that? And they're like, oh, this new song. And I'm like, new song? They wrote that 20 years ago. That's a 90s song. What are you talking about, you know? I'm like, come on. Come original, you know? Anyways, <laughs> you don't want to be around. And then, and of course, overeating, you know? I mean, <laughs> and I'm watching some football. You got to have some football in there, uh, you know, Thanksgiving Day. But <laughs> it becomes more than a day to you, and it becomes a lifestyle. You know, it becomes a culture of your life to give thanks in all circumstances when you have your roots in Christ. Um, and, and then you're able to break through any opposition that you may face, uh, no matter what comes your way. But it's so important to understand that, that roots. 
they are like the, the unseen heroes. I mean, when they're growing and forming, it seems like nothing happens. And of course, we're also reminded for any of you that ever planted anything, it actually begins with death. <laughs> it's almost like God knew the analogy that he was talking about. You know, you have to bury that thing in the ground, kill it for life to actually break forth. And then before anything happens above the surface, Depending on the plant, you know, that's what in kids and grow zone, Becky likes to use like bean plants because like the next day you can see something happen. But for most plants, you see nothing for days, weeks. And what's happening though are all those roots growing and growing and growing. And one of the last things to happen is that sprout breaks forth. And then even longer, depending on the type of plant, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years for some of these fruit trees. It'll take years before you ever see fruit grow on those trees. And isn't that sort of an analogy for our spiritual lives, right? Your life, your true life begins, you reach your full potential only when you die, right? That's water baptism. I die to my old self. I rise up in the new life of Christ. Um, and then you don't instantly have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, do you? Did anybody get those things right off the bat? God has miraculously done it, but yeah, more often than not, new. those are fruits. It takes a lot of time, working through a lot of junk in your life, a lot of opposition. That old self, you may have, you know, water baptized and you thought it was dead, but that old dead self wants to keep resurrecting, doesn't it? You're like a zombie, you know? It takes a lot of years before you start producing those good fruits of the Spirit. And it all begins with that seed, it all begins with that seed. And we get to choose. Our lives, in fact, Paul called it this, our lives are a field in 1 Corinthians. We are a field, and we get to choose what grows in our lives, what takes root, and what we get rid of, right? There are different things that we can allow to take root in our lives, different things that we plant, Whatever we plant, whatever we allow to grow, that is what will produce fruit. And we all know this from Galatians 5, right? Fruits of the flesh versus fruits of the Spirit. What we allow to grow is what will eventually produce fruit. That's why Jesus said, you know, we all love that first verse in Matthew 7, do not judge. And then he spends like verses after verses after verses talking about how we can judge correctly and accurately someone's life. And it's taking a look at the fruits of their life. Taking a look at the fruits of your actions. If you're having a hard time with a decision, this is what I always teach our kids. I'm like, okay, just stop and think. If you do this, like follow it to its extent. What will this produce in your life? Follow this, you know, and kind of think through it. Is it going to produce the fruits of the Spirit? Sometimes that makes the decision for you. Sometimes that is the deciding factor for you to know what God's will in that moment. Um, God's word, it uses plant analogies over and over and over again. They represent everything from our physical lives. Paul said, don't like wonder what happens when you die. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5. He talks about, you know, what happens when you die, that your, your physical body is like a seed. And when you plant it in the ground, it's a spiritual body. You know, you, you put down this corrupt, you know, physical body, you're given a new spiritual. And he talks about all those things. He talks about our physical body, our spiritual lives, how they begin. That's an analogy that God uses throughout his word. He actually uses a plant analogy for entire nations. If, if you look at like the book of Daniel when they're talking about Nebuchadnezzar and there's different, um, different roots and different um, you know, uh, stumps and trees and all kinds of analogies. Um, God uses it for all kinds of different things. Um, he even uses it about to speak of himself. 
What are some of the names of Jesus? He is the root of Jesse, right? The root of David. Um, he, he declares that. He says that he is the vine, we are the branches, right? The vine is what goes down into the root system. And it's just, it's, you know, he uses this analogy over and over and over again. Um, if you read through the book of Romans, we realize that I don't know if any of us here are Jewish by birth, by ancestry. I don't think any of us are, but, um, or maybe you are. If you're not, Paul described it this way. The only reason that we can be saved as Gentiles is because we've been grafted in to the, the promises of God. Grafted in spiritually. That's why, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, right? <laughs> We're grafted into that family. So he goes on and on and on and on. I'm not going to talk about all of them for time's sake, obviously. But here's the key. Here's the key in all of this. God wants to grow some really, really good things in your life. Some people give so much trying to just find peace in life, just trying to find joy, something that makes them happy, right? People will sacrifice so much, and we know because we, we know the source of all these things and we have the Word of God, other people don't know where to find those things. And often they're left coming up empty over and over and over again and, and destroying their lives because that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to destroy our lives. He wants to, uh, to sow seeds of discord. Um, you know, some of these kind of plants. Hunting season's coming up. And I remembered why I wear my hunting pants the other day. I took Bethany out small game just for fun, you know. And oh my goodness, like I came home and I was picking, you know, thorns out of my leg and I was all bloody and everything. I'm like, that's why I wear them. I don't care how hot it's out. I'm going to be wearing them again, you know, get through that brush. But the enemy wants to sow seed that will grow roots of division and discord that bear all the fruits of the flesh. And ultimately, these things, although they may look good at first, they still kill and destroy from truly living. They steal from our lives. It leaves behind a life of regrets. His desire is to steal away any good seed of God from our lives to prevent it from taking root and if he can't do that, he'll mix it in with something so that it grows up and snuffs it out, right? That's what the enemy wants to do. That's what the enemy is actively doing. He wants only bitter roots to remain. In fact, well, this is controversial. Anybody know the controversy on Jeopardy? Um, you know, whether Paul is the, the author of Hebrews or not, or oh, I'm only one in the geeky, I guess, social media groups. But anyways, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. It's Thought that Paul did, but we don't know for sure. So Jeopardy got it wrong here. But anyways, Hebrews 12, verse 15, 17. Paul said, see to it that no one, oh yeah, I'm on the right slide. And no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up that causes trouble and that defiles many. Has anybody had any bitter roots ever grow up in their family relationships? Anybody? Yeah, I'm seeing a whole lot of head nods here. Thanksgiving isn't the happiest time for every family, right? I remember some of my Thanksgivings growing up. I won't share anything, you know, but yeah. My, my, my grandma, we'll just say, has a problem with alcohol, and I didn't know that was uncommon growing up, you know. We saw all kinds of crazy things, and every holiday we got together was an adventure. I didn't realize that that wasn't normal until I, you know, got to meet other families, and <laughs> but it's all good. I'm still grateful for everyone, you know. Um, yeah, but that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to sow seed that causes bitter roots to grow up and to cause division. And he's destroying families through it. We don't have to be unaware of the schemes of the enemy, you know? 
and we even seen this play out in our family recently. There was something that, that, that I learned about, and I refused to tell Becky, and it was such a weird thing. But it's like, I just, I, this is the enemy, and if I share what happened with you, it's going to cause you to look at this person this way. And I just, you can just see what the enemy's trying to do. Cause all this division, all this nastiness and tear people apart. And I'm like, I'm not going to let it happen. This seed, it's gone. It's nowhere near our family's lives. I don't want anything to do with this thing. You know, we need to learn to do that, to be wise gardeners because we can choose what grows in our life. We have that choice. That's why we are accountable for our lives in the end, right? But so Paul says, see to it that no one falls short of God's grace, allows bitter roots to grow up, that cause trouble that defiles many. See to it that no one's sexually immoral. I mean, which is just huge in our society today. See to it that no one is godless like Esau, who for one single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, he wanted to inherit his blessing, but he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Talk about a life lesson in just a few verses. It's so easy to read those verses back in Genesis, see what Esau did, and be like, man, what a bonehead. What was he thinking? You know, why didn't he just wait a few minutes and make himself some dinner, you know? But how many of us have made temporary decisions that had life-affecting changes that we didn't really see coming. You know, we've made an emotional decision. We've said something in our emotion, and then we live to regret it later. It set the trajectory of our life in a bad way. Paul's warning us, see to it that you learn from other people's mistakes and you don't let the same thing happen to you. Be careful what you allow. And, and he literally went back to see to it that no bitter root grows up. It starts with roots. It starts with roots before you ever see the actions and the fruits of those things. By the grace of God, our hands can be trained to discern and to remove any of those bitter roots that the enemy has placed in our lives. By the grace of God, we are empowered to rise up above a life of regret. We can rise up above it. God's mercy can bring healing and restoration even to those past mistakes we made. We learned about this a couple weeks ago, right? You can't change the past. You can't change it. But thankfully, God can prepare a new way in your future. He can, he can change that trajectory. You may have been heading one direction because of a bad mistake that you made in your past, a poor decision, but God can redirect it and get you back on life's you know, proper path and, and help you to reach your full potential in everything. He has a plan and a purpose for you, and it's not to destroy you, right? It's to give you hope. It's to give you a future. That's where he wants us focused, on him and on the future he's calling us into. We can't change what we've done, but we don't have to allow those roots to keep tripping us up. You may have made a bonehead decision in the past, and those roots may be there in your life. It's who you are, but you don't have to allow them to continue growing, you can pull those things up by the roots and get them out of your life. They still leave a scar. You can still tell where they were, but they don't have to keep tripping you up any longer. By the grace of God, we can do that. And better than me going on and on and on about this topic, we're going to go straight to the words of Jesus. Matthew 13, if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to be uh, reading through these. There's multiple parables that Jesus gave, but most of them are about this. Because God wants to sow good seed in our lives, God's word comes in seed form. When you read through the word of God, it's not just like, boop, there's peace. You know, you've got it now. No, instead, God trains our hands for battle in this life to live a life 
that grows peace, to live a life that grows joy. And the work and the effort is well worth it in the end. We can learn to discern good seed from bad before it ever even starts to take root. That's what God's Word does. That's what God's Word does. It helps us to discern those things and to make good choices in life. Um, Jesus said this. So it's the same day that Jesus went out of that house and he sat by the lake and these huge crowds of people started gathering around him. So much so, he couldn't sit on the shore anymore. He had to get in a boat and set out away from the shore. And it says in verse 3, he told the people many things in parables. He said a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't really have much soil. It sprang up quickly. But because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they just withered away because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, but it was choked by the other plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. In fact, it didn't just produce a crop, it produced 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Most of us know this parable. Most of us are familiar with it. But change it from words that we've heard 100 times before and really let God start speaking to our hearts. What are some of those seeds in my life? What are some things that I'm letting the worries of this world choke out? What are some things that I allow the enemy to destroy? He'll bring those words back to, to accounts. How many times have you heard us, because uh, I've been there, you, you're at a conference or you go to a church and you hear a good message and you're like, yes, Lord, from now on, things are going to be different. And then you walk out those doors and you completely forget about it. Guess what? Jesus just talked about that. The enemy went done, gone, and stole it away, right? All experiencing the about it right i remember when i first came to this church and heard and learning what the word had to say about things and you know and then it, it starts to change um you know what you believe because god's word's true and that's what we're going to accept right everything he says is true and that's what we're going to accept that's what we're going to desire and that's what we're going to want so when you don't understand it, seek after him, because otherwise the evil one's going to come. He's going to snatch away what was sown in your heart. Jesus said, this is the to someone who hears the word, and at once they receive it with joy. Yes, Lord. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. Right, and we, We've seen that even in our own little church. You know, we've had people come in. We saw their needs met. They saw God work miracles for them. They rejoiced, and then they disappeared. Disappeared. It can happen. Why? Because this is, again, why that word keeps coming up in our church, discipleship. It's so important to get rooted. If you're not rooted, then you're going to easily get snatched away. Um, you know, actually, you know, 
be praying for the church of God. You know, Pastor Kenny's going to be leaving. But he was sharing a, a story uh, last night at Light Up Night about uh, his son. They just moved into a new property. Well, they didn't move in yet. Waiting for their house to get put on the foundation, but that's a long story. But they moved all their animals out. And uh, this is Luke, you know, and they end up losing a sheep from coyote. And what they found was, you know, there's all these little footprints. The animals that stayed near his dog, because he's got this big dog, they were safe. So what did the coyote do? They got that one sheep that's, it's an older sheep, but it's a little smaller than the rest. Got that sheep out away from the others, and they literally devoured it. It'd be a horrific thing to find, you know, right here in our backyard in Dayton. And it, it's how the enemy works. If he can get you away from your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's why God gave us church. That's why we do this thing. This is an equipping ground, you know. We need each other to, to stay grounded in our faith, to get rooted in our faith. And when we don't understand what God's up to, we can share. Some of you may have already gone through this. And you said, this is what God was doing for me. We need that. Anyways, the church is so important. So important. Because they had no root, they only lasted a short time, they fell away. When trouble or persecution came because of the word, they quickly fell away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke up the word and they make it unfruitful. And so we've got to be careful by those things. The worries of this world and wealth, there's a ditch on either side. God didn't warn his people over and over and over again in the Old Testament that when things get bad, remember me. No, no, no. God said, when life is good and you are blessed and you are prospering, remember me, right? Either end can choke it out. You know, right now we're going through a season with so many in the church when it's like, you know, God's word promises this, but this is what I'm experiencing. And how do, what are we missing here? How do we get these two things to jive, you know? It's okay to ask God, what are we missing? Is there something we need to be doing? Because remember, Jesus encountered a demon, and, and he said, well, that's no wonder you can't figure this out. This kind only comes out through prayer. You know, so it's like, is there something we need to do differently, or, or what the case might be? But what God desires for those circumstances to, to cause is for a hunger for him, to learn more about him, to dive more into his word to be humble and to learn. But what the enemy wants to do when these things two aren't matching up is, this is a lie. What God said, that's not true. I mean, look at your life. That's not happening right now, right? The enemy wants to kill that seed before it takes root. And so either one of these things, the worries of life or the, uh, the, when we're wealthy and things are going well, can choke it out. Then Jesus went in and he said, but, and you know, remember, buts are big in the Bible, right? But, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone. The soil was someone. We, we choose what type of soil we are, what we allow to grow in our lives. Jesus said that that one was good soil. And uh, yeah, I lost my place. I'm so sorry. They produced a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Isn't that so cool? You were created to multiply. That's the process of discipleship. You become a disciple, and then you reach other people with the good news about Jesus, and they become disciples, and then they reach multiple people. It's, it's just like a plant. You don't plant one seed, and you have a plant grow up, and you get one seed out of that plant. That's not how any plant that I can think of works. Check me on it. Let me know if there's any plants that work that way. That's just not the way of God. God created everything to multiply, 
Isn't that so cool? Like when he created the earth, it says that nothing had yet sprung up because he hadn't created man to work it. Literally, the, the creation was created in seed form. Big old muddy wasteland is what I picture. It's not what you see in the kids' books. But then when he created man to work it, things sprouted up. It's so cool to think about. That one seed that God created back at creation, it will reproduce until the time Jesus returns. Like It's just so cool to think about. That is if that seed is in the right conditions, right? I've got some acorns at home and they're never going to reach their full potential. Why? Because they're in my gutter. <laughs> now, I've seen them take root and start to grow. You got problems when that happens. But you got to be... So what does it take for God's Word to bear fruit in our lives? It takes us being good soil. And you don't even have to do the work in your own soil. All you got to say is, yes, Lord, and let the Spirit do the work. Then he goes on. Jesus told them another parable. The king of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, and his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. That's all the enemy has to do. Did you ever notice that back at the beginning in the garden? All you do is ask a question. Is that really what God said? It's still the question he asks us today, right? Is that really what God said? Does God really want to do that, you know? And then just walk away. And then our, our minds do the rest. Because this, this is where the seeds take root, isn't it? So I were told to take every thought captive, every thought captive, because that's where the seed comes into play. That's where it takes root, and then finally it bears fruit into our lives. And then he, he continues on. He says, when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared at the same time, because when you see seed, you're not seeing wheat and thorns, you know, you're, you just see seed. You don't see what's happening, but they're taking root together. And then finally, and so... Uh, one of the owner's servants came to him and he said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where did all these weeds come from? And the owner knew what happened. He said, the enemy did this. So the servants asked him, do you want us to go and to pull all those weeds out? He's like, no, 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 no. Because when you're pulling up the weeds, you might also uproot, uproot the weed along with them. So let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, then I'll tell the harvesters, first collect all the weeds, tie them up in bundles and burn them. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Sometimes you don't know. Is this God? Is this not? As revival breaks out, sometimes you're going to be like, this is weird. Is this God? Is this the enemy? What's happening here? You know? And sometimes you may just have to wait and be like, okay, I should have stopped that. That's the enemy. You know? Or that was God. Why did I stop that? That was God. You know? Why don't we just let him have his way and work? And so we got to be discerning with that. Um, and then Jesus continues on. And he said, he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. When a man took it and planted it in his field, even though it was the smallest of all seeds, when it grew, it was the largest garden plant. And it became a large tree. So that the birds came and perched on its branches. Right? And we know that God requires us to have what? Faith the size of mustard seed. You know, and we can move mountains. It doesn't take a very big seed to produce a lot of fruit. You know? So what did we learn about like a month ago? Be good stewards of the revelation that God has given you. Be a good steward. Even though it may seem small, you have no idea what that might multiply to become, you know? Just trust God with what he has given you and be a good steward of it and see what he can do. Then in verse 36, I'm going to continue on here as we're, we're, we are ending, I swear. Um, then Jesus left the crowd. He went into a house. His disciples came and he asked them, and he said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field, because they just didn't get that one. And he answered, 
The one who sowed the good seed is capital S, capital N, the Son of Man, referring to himself. He sows good seed. He said the field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom of God. Do we got some good seed in here? All right, there's a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's growing. It's multiplying. Kingdom people, right? KP. We're good seed. We're out there in the world. We've got to grow some roots and some fruits, right? Good roots, good fruits. Bad roots, bad fruits, you know? <laughs> got to grow some good roots. We can put some good fruits out there. And then he went on and he said, the weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest doesn't come till the end of the age. And those who harvest are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will, pull, they will weed out his kingdom. Did you hear Jesus just said there? Don't think he don't know how to weed them out, right? Any you guys watch the SpongeBob movie? I'm sorry. He knows. Any goofy goobers out there? Anyways, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and then he goes on. And he says, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever as hears, let them hear. You know, so often we, we read verses like this and we think about like evil, wicked people. And, you know, some people are just malicious. They choose to be. But more often than not, Ephesians, Paul talks about people who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Literally, that's how he describes them. Some people are wicked and evil and they don't even know it. They don't even know what they're doing. They're just kind of pawns, you know, being masqueraded, masqueraded, no, uh, mar marionetted, you know, by the enemy. They don't even realize what they're doing. The good news is, right, the good news of the gospel is that no one has to be wicked or evil. No one has to be thrown in the furnace where it's weeping and gnashing its teeth. Jesus gave his life for all the world. And so it's our responsibility. It's our job to take the good news out there, not to avoid wicked, evil people and whatnot, but to share the good news with them that there's a better way. There's a different way. There's a better way of living, right? There is life and life abundant available. And in fact, we know that Jesus said that the righteous will shine like the sun we know that being righteous, being kingdom people, it's not about me doing anything right. I could never do enough right things in this lifetime to be righteous before God, could I? Isaiah thought he is a pretty good dude. Then you look at chapter 6 when he enters. He goes, you know, like that first song. Yeah, if you don't get that first song, you got to read through the Old Testament. It's got a bunch of Old Testament, song, you know, the phrases and everything. But when Isaiah is taken past the outer courts into that holy of holies, you know, past the brazen altar... Isaiah's like, woe is me. I'm an unclean man from unclean lips. And then the song goes on. He says, you know, uh, you know take me in. Take the coal. Touch my lips. Here I am. That's what, that's what the seraphim did for Isaiah. He took this coal from the altar of God, touched Isaiah's lips, and then he became clean. We only become righteous by the work of God, by putting our faith in the work of Jesus. It's the only way we become righteous. The only way. It's not because of what we do or didn't do. It's all because of what he did and is still doing in our lives, right? It's the only way. Trusting not our own efforts, but trusting that Jesus is the only way to put death to death our old selves, just like that seed, and then to be raised up in a new life. And what happens when God raises us up in a new life? We end with the scripture, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. 
This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. This is what he's saying to us this morning. Okay? If we haven't heard anything else, this is what the Lord wants us to hear. Anyone who trusts in man from the Lord's own word, he says is cursed. Cursed is anyone who trusts in man. Cursed is anyone who draws strength from flesh. Cursed is anyone whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They won't even see prosperity when it actually comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one else lives. But, remember about buts, right? In verse 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one whose confidence is in Him alone. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out into the stream. Remember that song that we sang? I got a river, living water. Yeah, got springs of living water. That's you. You're planted by the, and I love that, that's so cool. God didn't pluck you from your life and plant you next to a stream. Ever notice that? When you got saved, God didn't move you. Sometimes there's wisdom in getting away from some of those old friends so you don't get pulled back away. But sometimes God saved you to save them. Instead, God took the streams of living water and he put them in you so that you have those springs bursting forth through the Holy Spirit, right? We are like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear good fruit. The decision is ours. Are we going to trust in the Lord or we can trust in our own abilities or in someone else and in, in our chariots and our, you know, our military strength. Or are we going to just trust in the Lord? According to God, it's the one who trusts in the Lord alone that ends up persevering. Doesn't say that hard times won't come your way, but it says when hard times come your way, you can still bear good fruit. You can still have green leaves and branches because your source isn't from this world. Your source is God himself. Amen? It's exciting. So this Thanksgiving day, let's make this not just an annual tradition, just a single day that we celebrate a holiday, but let's allow that attitude of gratitude to take root in our lives, giving thanks in all circumstances, keeping our roots in the streams of the living God and that living water even like Jesus told the Samaritan woman, so that we would never thirst again. So that no matter what happens in this world, because I think things are going to get way worse before they ever get better. In fact, Jesus kind of wrote a whole lot about that. He's like, these are just the beginning of the birth pains, you know. It's, any ladies ever gone through childbirth and, you know, you thought it was bad when the birthing pains were certain, the contractions, and things got a little worse, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> got some stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear if our roots are in the Lord. All right, so let's just close in prayer. So Jesus, we thank you for being that root, the root of Jesse, the root of David, the root of Steve, the root of Jess, the root of Nate, the root of every one of us. Thank you for being our root. Thank you for being the vine. 
that nourishes us, that strengthens us. You do all the work to reach out so that we have everything that we need to live a good, fruitful life. And it's not so that we can look good on the outside to the world, like whitewashed tombs. It's so that we can branch out and bring other people into the vine. So we can draw other people to you. So we can point people to you, the source of our life. The only reason why we are anything good is you, Jesus. The only reason you've done anything good in our lives is so that we can testify to other people about how good you are so that they would get curious and ask about this hope and put their trust in you as well. Lord, we thank you for the good work you've started. Forgive us for growing weary and losing heart partway through this race of life. Help us to be ones that get back up, that persevere, that endure, and that grow good fruit in every season of life. It's all through you, Jesus. It's all a work that you are doing in and through us. You started it, and we're going to just trust you, Jesus, to complete it in your name, above every name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, be blessed and have some fun out there, right? Have some fun reaching people with the good news about Jesus.